Hi everyone, this is Yelena from Amazonia PPC and today with us we have a very, very special guest today. Our guest is Migla Bardwaj. Uh, she is the founder of India Sourcing Trip and also has 20 years of experience in sourcing from India. Uh, she has become very uh, familiar um, now lately, especially be uh, because she's a public speaker in all of these uh, Amazon-related events. And we're very happy and honored to have her as our guest today to talk about sourcing from India. So, Migla, welcome, and we're happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Yelena. It's really nice to be here. Awesome, for us too. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, what it is that you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, I've got almost uh, 20 years experience in sourcing from India and China. So I started my career in India working for a company called Global Sources. That's basically a marketplace. And uh, then I moved to the Philippines. I worked there for three years. And then I moved to China and I was based in China for about 10 years before moving to Singapore. I'm currently in Singapore and um, I've been here for about five years. So when I was in China, I used to do, um, I used to work on research reports for importers. And that's how I got a good understanding of how manufacturing and exports and trade work. Um, I used to visit a lot of factories in China and write about how products are manufactured um, in, in China and in the factories. You know, what, what are the things that affect product quality and the price mm -hmm. and what are the challenges that importers will face when sourcing from China and also India. So that's my background. And then when I was in, in China and also in India, I used to visit a lot of trade shows and, uh, you know, that's how I got a good understanding of uh, how to, how to um, attend trade shows if you're a buyer to, to look for new products. And then more recently, about four years ago, I started working with Amazon sellers, organizing a conference for mm -hmm. Amazon sellers who are interested in sourcing private label products from Asia. And the con conference was held in Hong Kong. And then um, last year, I started this trip to India called India Sourcing Trip, like you mentioned. And uh, because I saw that there was a need for um, Amazon sellers to diversify uh, their mm -hmm. sourcing to other countries. And so, you know, there was, um, a, there were a lot of Amazon sellers who were asking me how to source from India because I'm of Indian origin and, you know, I have some experience there. So then I thought that there was, I saw the need in the market for more education and, uh, um, you know, just, just more information about sourcing from India. So that's how, uh, you know, the trip and everything started. Interesting. And definitely there is a huge opportunity uh, for sellers and also for manufacturers from India to connect and do business together, um, mm -hmm. especially having in mind these latest trends that have happened in legislation from the USA and introducing tariffs to Chinese uh, exporters and um, also more and more Chinese sellers joining the Amazon, uh, Amazon platform. So what is your take on these latest changes, especially in the last couple of months? Yeah, definitely. I think what uh, sellers have realized is that they cannot put all their eggs in one basket. They have to diversify their sourcing marketplace, uh, you know, where they source from to diversify their risks. Because when the trade tariffs happened, when the, uh, you know, tension between the U.S. and, and China occurred, then a lot of people were affected um, significantly, their production costs increased, and it was just not profitable for them to source, you know, those products. So it affected a lot of, um, you know, Amazon sellers. And that's when they realized that, oh, there is a need to diversify. 
And uh, I think one of the reasons that, uh, you know, sellers are looking to India is because um, there are a lot of unique products that can be found in India that are not available in China or in, in other countries. Um, there are a lot of handcrafted items that India specializes in that are high quality and that are um, quite differentiated. And that, you know, also helps sellers to differentiate their own brand because everyone is sourcing from China. But if you have a product that's different, it's sourced from another country, then, you know, that gives you a competitive advantage. And a lot of these products are, you know, handmade, handcrafted, and they can command a higher price and therefore they can be more profitable. So that's another thing that I'm, I'm seeing, you know, sellers um, doing when they're sourcing from India. Um, they're also they're also developing stories behind the products because a lot of these mm-hmm. uh, products are manufactured, you know, like by people in villages or by women in villages or, um, you know, by, by like underprivileged communities, for example, there's this one supplier that, um, that, that uh, produces products with the help of tribals. You know, there are these tribal people who live in a, in a certain city in India, and then they produce all of those products. So there are stories that can be created around products that are sourced from India. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, Usually um, everything's moving towards direct to consumer model, uh, in, when it comes to online e-commerce uh, businesses. So one of the ways that businesses um, as, such as direct-to-consumer brands will survive in 2020 is through creating a dialogue with their customers. And if there's like a backstory to how these products are being produced, it can definitely be a contributing uh, factor. And um, also one of the things that we have as a feedback from one of our clients is that quality of these materials that are used in India for the same or very similar price are much higher than uh, the quality is better than when it comes to from China. So for example, one of our clients um, has a brand that is in the home decor industry, but they have sort of transcended into a B2B brand that now sells uh, hotel accessories and all of their are, all of their products are imported and sourced in, from uh, India. And they just want, like you said, they have like a higher price point. So they don't um, really necessarily base their business model on the economy of scale, but rather than that, yeah. they just focus on working with higher end clients, have, uh, you know, lower volumes, but higher profits in general. And a lot of uh, sellers who do their product research, one of the main, uh, you know, conditions for them to even consider selling a product is a certain price point below which they won't even go. Like, you know, some of them say it's $20 uh, selling price and some of them say it's 15, whatever uh, works for them in terms of uh, sales volume per month. So um, I I can definitely see that there is an opportunity there for for sourcing from India. So you mentioned that uh, there's this uh, brand that um, makes their production uh, in a collaboration with some tribals. So um, how does this work? How do they ensure uh, quality uh, is top level? So um, first of all, you know, going back to the previous point, I also want to point out that in India, um, if you source a product from uh, an export focused supplier, then the quality is really good. And you also get, 
you know, the designs and all are suited to Western taste because these mm-hmm. are suppliers that cater to the, to the export market. They focus on exports and, um, you know, they, they understand the requirements of export markets, the regulations, the, the quality requirements and everything. But there are also a large number of manufacturers in India that focus on the domestic market. And if you source from those types of suppliers, you know, maybe the price would be lower, but the quality might not be that that good. So that's something to keep in mind when you're sourcing from India. You want to make sure that you are sourcing from an export-focused uh, supplier that has experience um, in, in exports for sure. Um, and then, so talking about this specific company that works with with Tribal, so so this company, what they do is they have their in-house staff that actually goes to um, the, the village where these tribals work. And um, there is like a community hall over there where mm-hmm. people from these different families come and they, um, you know, they, they paint products or they polish or, you know, whatever. They create the products there in that community hall. And then this, this supplier, they send their QC person there and their staff to, um, you know, explain to those tribal people, like what, what exactly is needed, what is the design that needs to be made, you know, they do all of that training, and then they do the QC and all themselves. So it's very different from how it works in a factory, um, you know, where the workers are in-house and, and things like that. So this is, of course, this is not how all of the production is done in India. This is just one example that I gave that was that I thought is kind of a unique you know, unique product and a unique brand story. Mm-hmm. I understand. So yeah. uh, considering that there are various ways in which you can approach uh, sourcing in India, depending on the size of your own brand, I guess, would be uh, the starting point. Uh, there are differences in how do you approach production too. So when we're talking about uh, export-focused uh, suppliers, so where, how, do we, how would we start finding them like for example what the best approach would be should we go to the india mart website and look out for them there or the best way would be to personally go to fairs and just generally what are the advantages of each approach and uh, the downsides so one of the uh, one of the first things that you can do is just do a google search so whatever product you're looking for type in that product and then India manufacturer or India supplier, and you'll you'll see a list of um, you know manufacturers, and usually there are the export focused suppliers that come up first. Um, most of their websites will not be updated with their with their latest products, but you will get uh, some basic information about the company, who their customers are, and what kind of product categories they manufacture. So that's one thing. Then the other thing you could do is um, look on supplier directories such as Alibaba and Global Sources. So mm-hmm. these are the two main export-focused directories where you'll find exporters. And so once you do a search on these directories, and you'll need to further refine your search results to search by country, to filter by country, and then select India. And then you will see India suppliers on those websites. Of mm-hmm. course, the majority of suppliers on both of these websites are from China, but they do have suppliers from India as well. And uh, in fact, both Alibaba and Global Sources have offices in India and with, you know, active sales teams and they're actually recruiting suppliers for their website. So you will find export focused suppliers over there. Now, India Mart is a local marketplace. And the thing with India Mart is that there are a lot of suppliers that focus on the domestic market as well on India, on India Mart. 
and in fact, their focus, India Mart's focus, is mostly on on domestic suppliers. It's not uh, focused on export-focused suppliers like Global Sources and Alibaba. So India Mart, of course, has more Indian suppliers, but it's more difficult to find, um, mm-hmm. you know, export experience suppliers or exporters on India Mart. So you might have to, you know, search a bit more and dig, dig a little deeper. And there are a lot of sourcing agents or trading companies and wholesalers on India Mart as well. So if possible, I would avoid India Mart, you know, focus on global sources and Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you can also work with sourcing agents. So there are a lot of sourcing agents in India and in various cities. And many times these sourcing agents specialize in certain product categories. For example, you have certain agents that, uh, you know, specialize in garments or textiles or home decor items. And they usually have a database of suppliers that they themselves have vetted. So that's another way. And sourcing agents typically charge, you know, anywhere from 5 to 10% of the mm-hmm. order value as, as their commission. So just keep that in mind. Um, another way to look for suppliers is to search for um, export promotion councils. So in India, there are these uh, government organizations that are responsible for in- increasing the exports in, in their specific industry. So for example, there'll be like a silk export promotion council or a handicrafts export promotion council. So you can do a Google search, look for their websites and reach out to them. And usually they have a list of ex- exporters that are members of, of uh, you know, their uh, of that council. And if you reach out to them, send them an email, they will usually have lists that they can send to you. But of course, the list might be very long and it might not mm-hmm. be updated with the latest information. And uh, it's also a bit difficult to get a sense of what that supplier specializes in because they might list a lot of different product categories that they can manufacture. So, I mean, it's, you can get a list, but then you'll have to sift through, you know, the, the, the companies there and maybe individually look at their websites and talk to the companies to actually find out what exactly they specialize in, what products they actually produce. And then lastly, um, another way to find suppliers is just to go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a couple of sourcing trade shows that you can attend. So there's this one trade show called the Indian Handicrafts and Gifts Fair. That is the most important export-focused fair in India. It's like the Canton Fair of India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's held in Delhi. Um, there are about 3,000 exporters that exhibit at that fair. It's held twice a year, April and October. And uh, it's, it's for, ex- for importers. So domestic or local people are not allowed to enter the fair. I mean, unless, of course, they are, uh, they are from a sourcing agency or they represent buyers. So once you register for the fair, they'll actually manually check and confirm your registration. So, you know, it's, it's very, very export focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a very good way of, you know, uh, meeting a lot of suppliers at the same time, seeing a ton of different products. And um, also, you know, one of the advantages of sourcing at a trade show is that you get touch and feel products. You know, that's something that you can't yeah. do when you're sourcing online. Absolutely. And going to a trade show just speeds up the sourcing process a lot. You know, when you're sourcing online, then you're talking to suppliers one by one, getting samples from them, you know, that, that takes a couple of weeks and then going back and forth with different suppliers. But when you're there at the fair, you know, you're talking to them face to face, you're getting a sense of how, how well they can communicate, what their experience is. You can, you know, see their body language and everything. And you can meet the boss of the factory. Like usually the, the owner of the factory will be there 
at the trade show. And so you get a sense of what the company specializes in and how easy it might be to, you know, work with the company. And then the other advantage of trade show is that suppliers will take you more seriously because they know that you are a real buyer. You have invested the time and money and effort to, you know, travel thousands of kilometers to this fair. So of course you are serious about importing. So once you follow up with suppliers after the show, they'll be more responsive. Um, They will prioritize your orders and they will just take you more seriously than someone who's just contacting them online. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, A lot of the things that you mentioned are actually advantages and a lot of sellers actually also enjoy uh, going there personally. It's like a Disneyland for them because it's (laughs) such a fast choice of, you know, products and new (laughs) product ideas that they might have not thought about before. So definitely. um, So who is the best candidate? you mentioned there's like three different ways in which you can uh, source products from India. Uh, and it looks like it's not so difficult. At least it sounds to me that it's not that difficult only if you have the right information. So um, uh, who is best uh, to, what is the best way to start according to the size of uh, sellers? Like for example, if you don't uh, have a huge need for big order quantities, then obviously it won't make a lot of sense to go there personally, but for bigger sellers, it won't make a lot of sense to lose time uh, through, uh, you know, doing it all online and then uh, dealing with a lot of samples and uh, communication online. So what is your uh, view about that? Yeah, so I think regardless of whether you're uh, an experienced or new seller, it -hmm. makes sense to go there if you have the capital. Because if you, um, if you have, you know, the, the money to invest in a trip over there, even if you're starting, just starting out, if you're new, but you know, you have capital from other businesses or, you know, whatever, if you have, if, and if you can't afford it, then I would say going there is the best because it speeds up the entire process and it gives you a lot of information and learning and, you know, talking to all of the suppliers will, um, give you a lot of experience that you might take, you know, like, a couple of years to learn if you just do it online. Yeah. So, and this, this is true for China as well, not only yeah. India. If you're, if you can afford it, you should definitely go visit, you know, the factory, visit trade shows, China and India. However, if you don't have capital and if you're just starting, um, you know, with a small cap, with, with a bit of capital and you're just, uh, you know, doing this as a side business um, and not treating it as a full fledged business as such, um, then I would suggest sourcing online and taking it slow. And uh, because when you travel to a country, then, you know, you're, you're of course spending a lot. And if you're going with a sourcing trip, then you have, you've got to pay for that. And then you've got to pay for your flight and everything. Um, and then you're spending almost, a, you know, a week to 10 days traveling and everything. So, um, and then on top of that, you have to have capital for inventory as well. Right. So right. if you can afford it, I think you should definitely go there. Uh, but if you can't, if you're just starting small, then I would say source online. Um, one of the advantages of sourcing from India is that a lot of, a lot of the suppliers will do small MOQs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're in China, most of the times they will want like thousands of pieces as the MOQ. But in India, especially if it's a handcrafted product, then they can do like even, you know, five pieces. That's one big advantage actually for Amazon sellers and why they, why they 
like sourcing from India. In fact, when we were there in October, you know, with, with this group for, on India sourcing trip, some of the sellers were so shocked to see the, M, the low MOQs that suppliers were asking for. And they were like, we can't believe it. It's just 20 pieces. You know, we can start with 20 pieces. So that I think is a huge opportunity because you don't have to invest thousands of dollars on one SKU. The approach that you can take when you're sourcing from India is that you can um, source multiple products or multiple SKUs and then test them and see what works. And then depending on, you know, what kind of um, um, like CPC you get when you're running PPC or what kind of sales velocity you get, you know, you can decide which product to scale and, um, you know, source in larger quantities. So I think that's a big advantage. It's a bit, it's a bit less riskier, I would say, when you're starting with smaller products. The other thing that some suppliers will do in India is that instead of having a minimum order quantity, they will have a minimum order value. Mm -hmm. So that means they'll say that, okay, the minimum order value is like $5,000 and you can take anything you want. You know, you can take like five pieces of this, 10 pieces of this and, you know, any color, any size, but it just should be a minimum of $5,000. So that I think is also really good. Again, it, it allows you to test different products and see what works. Yeah, a lot of sellers would find this kind of flexibility very useful uh, for yeah. testing out new products, especially if you do a lot of product launches and already have like an existing brand and want to see mm -hmm. what works and what doesn't work. So I can, I can definitely see the difference and the value in all of that. Um, and you also mentioned that Indian sellers, uh, when you're there personally, obviously it will give you a much better head start than when you communicate back and forth online with uh, all of these suppliers. And also one of the bigger advantages of sourcing from India versus sourcing from China would definitely be uh, language barrier. There's no language barrier. Like a lot mm. of Indian sellers... In India, English is your second language, official language that a lot of people are speaking it. So um, there is not such a huge language barrier as what it is in China, where you have to have some kind of agent working for you there. And like you mentioned, it's specialized just for a certain category. And it all depends on how valuable and contributing this agent is. A lot of the communication can just slip through the cracks and that's yeah. super sensitive especially if you have a product that's very dependent on the kind of quality and everything uh, uh, you know backlashes through product reviews on amazon so you can't really play with that kind of uh, thing so uh, when you mentioned that there's like a minimum uh, minimum order value so where is this flexibility coming from? How does this work for uh, suppliers? Like what is the reason why they're so flexible versus the Chinese suppliers? One of the main reasons that they're flexible is because a lot of these products are handmade. So mm -hmm. they don't have, you know, like huge machines that mm -hmm. they need to run and they don't have, you know, very large, um, like raw material minimum order requirements from their suppliers as such. Uh, there are a lot of small scale, um, you know, like uh, raw material suppliers and small scale factories. And another thing to note is that the government promotes, um, you know, handcrafted and the handicraft industry a lot. So what the government has done is that there are certain cities in the country that have been developed as production hubs of certain categories. And um, within those cities, the government has set up 
certain facilities that can be used by various suppliers. To mm -hmm. give you an example, there is a city in the north of in, in northern India called Moradabad, where a lot of the metal production is done. It's known mm -hmm. as a metal city because there are a lot of like brass and uh, iron, steel, like all the metal production is done there. However, um, a lot of the factories don't have casting facilities in-house. So there is a common uh, government-run casting facility that any supplier can go and use. So they don't need to invest uh, heavily you know, in in-house in casting facilities. So that's, you know, an advantage. And then there are other things like, you know, maybe like the polishing machines or certain other machines are also available in that facility that is run by the government. And that also allows um, suppliers to, you know, be flexible in terms of minimum order quantities because they don't have, um, uh, you know, first of all, they don't have to invest a lot in setting up their own machines a lot of them do once they scale and you know once they are bigger there are a few factories in that city that do have casting in-house but by and large most of them uh, just use the common facilities that are provided by the government mm -hmm. interesting okay so you mentioned that there's a, a city uh, that is called the metal city um yeah. i also heard that uh when it comes to India, it's number one world exporter of cotton. So that might mm. obviously be one of the categories to that are the most convenient for uh, sourcing. So um, I guess the whole textile um, categories might fall onto that. And what yes. other categories you might suggest that are best for sourcing from India? Yeah. So one of the biggest categories is home decor items. And most of these products are handcrafted. So they're wooden, metal uh, kind of products. Another very fast growing category is eco-friendly products. And these are also doing very well on Amazon currently. Yeah. Um, and I, I know a lot of sellers who are actually sourcing eco-friendly products from India and doing pretty well. So there are quite a few unique products in this category that India has developed, for example, um, there are these disposable plates that are made from sugarcane waste. It's known mm. as bagasse. So that's a very, you know, eco-friendly kind of material because these plates are biodegradable and, uh, you know, they're, they're not made of plastic or any of the other man-made kind of materials. And then when we were, we were at the fair in October, we saw these um, rugs that were made from recycled PET bottles, you know, plastic mm -hmm. water bottles. Mm -hmm. So they, they literally cut up the plastic bot water bottles that have been disposed and then turn them into yarn and then weave them into, um, you know, various things like cushion covers, rugs, um, tablecloths, and all sorts of fabric-based products. And the fabric doesn't feel very plasticky or doesn't feel plasticky at all. Like if you didn't know they're made from, you know, this, this plastic, um, you couldn't tell. It just looks like any, you know, normal kind of um, um, fabric. So there's a lot of R&D that's going into developing these kinds of products in India. In fact, the, it domestically also, you know, the government is trying to push um, um, eco-friendliness over there. So for example, in a lot of the bigger cities, single-use plastics are now banned. Mm -hmm. And they only use like paper bags or uh, cloth bags, uh, you know, those kinds of things. McDonald's, for example, does not use plastic spoons. They use wooden spoons over there. So, you know, that's something else to consider. Interesting. Um, 
And then there's leather. Leather is a very big category too and uh, growing pretty fast. So there's uh, jackets and shoes and belts. Um, another category to consider is furniture and furnishings. So there's wooden furniture, a lot of wooden furniture being manufactured. And there are all sorts of wood, like there's mango wood that's pretty popular, that's more at the low end. And then there's at the high end, there's also teak wood that's available. Um, so yeah, wooden products and furniture. Um, and then also furnishings. So there's uh, carpets, rugs, uh, tablecloths, uh, things like that, mostly made from cotton or other natural materials. Um, a lot of the rugs you'll find are made from jute, which is also a natural material. Um, also, there are these very beautiful rugs that are made from waste materials, you know. So that's another thing that uh, a lot of India suppliers are focusing on, upcycling mm -hmm. materials or mm -hmm. recycling materials. So these are basically waste fabrics that are disposed by factories because these are apparel factories, you know, like when they're cutting the fabric to make, yeah. make a garment, then there's a lot of fabric waste. So then all of this fabric waste is collected and then it's woven into, you know, rugs and, and stuff like that. So that was very interesting. And I thought there's this one company that I know of that actually makes bags from upcycled materials, like um, old tents or, you know, canvas or like old bags. So things that have been disposed of, they get those materials, they clean them, and then, you know, they make bags out of those uh, materials. So again, it's, it's good for the environment because they're upcycling um, products. Yes. Another big category from India is superfoods. And this is quite mm -hmm. popular nowadays with Amazon sellers as well. So there are things like, um, uh, you know, turmeric or ashwagandha, Mm -hmm. These are all herbs that are kind of very popular and um, a lot of Amazon sellers are selling those products as well. Then there are things like tea and coffee. You could do those as well. There are spices. Um, a lot of people are doing spices and lentils and rice, you know, those kinds of things as well. So these are not your typical products that, you know, uh, people who are starting out would do, but as you grow and you get more experience, you can, you know, take a, invest a little bit more and uh, try to do these kinds of products. And I know a few bigger sellers that are actually really doing very well in superfoods. So yeah, I think those are some of the categories. What you won't find in India is electronics. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's a category that's not um, yet sourceable from India, but there are a lot of factories I'm seeing that are currently being set up. In fact, um, there are a lot of Chinese factories that are setting up their own factories in India because they want to cater to the domestic market. There's a huge, huge, huge domestic market for electronics. And um, most of the electronics factories currently are selling domestically. But over time, I think over the next few years, we will definitely see a trend where a lot of these factories will also export uh, on an OEM basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Um, are there any other categories that are currently not available to source from uh, India, aside from electronics? Um, yeah, electronics. And then also in terms of textiles, um, man-made textiles, you know, like nylon, polyester, those kinds of things, jackets, outerwear, those things are better sourced in China. Uh, they're more, you know, competitively priced and they're more, there's more suppliers for those products. But products that are made from natural materials are better mm -hmm. sourced in India. 
I can see there is a huge opportunity, uh, especially like you mentioned for superfoods. We know that there is a huge trend and also in the supplements, very competitive yeah. categories. So um, uh, I can definitely see a really good opportunity there. So, um, yeah, there was this company actually that I met at a trade show. Um, they're an Israel uh, company, Israeli company, and they were sourcing tea and other herbs from India and they were selling them as, um, you know, like herbal drinks. So it was tea mixed with some other herbs. And, you know, like this is a soothing kind of tea because it's mixed with certain herbs that have, you know, a calming quality or something like that. That's mm -hmm. something else that, you know, people can consider. You have tea and then blend those different teas with various herbs and, uh, you know, market those as like drinks. Mm -hmm. I see. So uh, there is a huge opportunity for sellers who are a little bit more experienced in that product development uh, phase, uh, basically just trying to figure out a way to connect that uh, those raw materials that are high in quality and they are domestically available in India to create a product that will the, the Western market will appreciate and recognize. So, uh, yeah, definitely understand. Um, is there are there some like obstacles or maybe some things that affect organization from sourcing in sourcing from India? Like for example, we know uh, beforehand that on January 25th, there is a Chinese New Year coming up and then for the upcoming month, for the whole month, all factories are going to be closed and people are going home. So no production is going to be available so that you know beforehand to place your order a, a little bit more for, for that extra month that the factories aren't working. So are there any kind of like seasonal or, you know, cultural differences source when you're sourcing from India to keep in mind? Yes, definitely. So I'll talk about a few of the challenges first and then I'll come to the cultural um, and, and some of the holidays uh, and, and the other challenges. So I think one of the biggest limitations for sourcing from India is that there are a limited number of categories. So in China, you can source anything and everything, right? You'll be able to find it. So that's something that you'll find when you're sourcing from India. There are specific products that you can source. So you need to be aware of what categories can be sourced. And, um, you know, sometimes you've got to do a comparison um, of that product from India and China and see um, if it is competitive to source, you know, from which country. Uh, sometimes you also might find that lead times are longer, especially for handcrafted products. Um, it's not generally the rule as such, but it does happen often. And especially if you're just starting out, suppliers might not prioritize your orders. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons for, for longer lead times. Also, the other reason is a lot of these products are handcrafted. So that does take time. And then many of the people who, you know, work on these handcrafted products, they're actually artisans. They're not factory workers. No, like some of them are factory workers, of course. And, you know, if a, if a company has a lot of in-house factory workers doing stuff, then their lead times will be faster. But if they're outsourcing some of the production to artisans, then that might have an effect on the lead time because, you know, maybe the artisan is working for another factory or there's some problem in, in their family or, um, you know, the artisan doesn't want to work for certain days or whatever. So that's, that's something that's a bit difficult to manage for factories, uh, you know, when they're outsourcing uh, specific aspects or specific steps in the production to artisans. 
So typically you'll find that um, the lead time is, you know, can go up to like 50 days, almost two months. Whereas in China, it'll be like, you know, 15 days, 30 days maximum. But in India for handmade, handcrafted products, it can be longer. So that's something to, something to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is that sometimes it's difficult to find suppliers. You know, you'll find that challenge. Uh, in, in China, you know, there's Alibaba, there's Global Sources. A lot of the suppliers are online. But in India, a lot of the suppliers might not be online. So, you know, you, even if you search on supplier directories, you might not be able to find them easily. And so it, it might take more effort. Uh, you might have to go through a sourcing agent or a trade show or, you know, other avenues. So that's something that you'll find. And then another thing is that a lot of the service providers like logistics companies, um, you know, some of the QC companies and all there, and even the suppliers, they're not very familiar with Amazon requirements. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like freight forwarders, most of them, they, they don't know how to send products to FBA, especially if, uh, if the seller is not based in, U- in the U.S. and they don't have a company in the U.S., um, you know, then some, some of the logistics companies might not know how to manage things like, you know, who's the importer of record and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then also when you're, uh, when you're shipping to Amazon and then if you have to ship your products to different fulfillment centers, some logistics companies might not be able to manage that as well. So you've got to choose the logistics company very carefully and, you know, make sure that they are familiar with, with uh, FBA requirements. And then suppliers sometimes are not aware of, you know, the labeling requirements or how to do packaging or things like that. So um, that's not a big challenge. I mean, once you have to like train these suppliers and tell them what to do and, you know, then it becomes easier after they've done it a couple of times. So it's something like, you know, maybe what China suppliers were three or four years ago when FBA supply uh, from when Amazon sellers were starting to source from China, you know, Chinese suppliers didn't really know what to do but now of course they are you know so familiar with amazon requirements and um uh you know it's it's not an issue at all so in terms of holidays uh there are a couple of things to keep in mind in india um usually there are a lot of holidays during the end of the year because there's one main festival in mm-hmm. india for hindus that's called diwali and mm-hmm. that's the biggest festival uh, it's usually in october or november it doesn't have a fixed date, similar to Chinese New Year. And even though the official holidays are maybe like two or three days, but, you know, sometimes workers will go back home to their, uh, you know, to their, fa- to their families if they are uh, working in the cities, for example, or they'll just take time off. So that's one time when you have to be, you know, uh, a bit aware of. And then in India, there are a lot of holidays throughout the year, you know, one day here, two, day, two days here, things like that. So, for example, um, there are a lot of religions in India. There's there are Christians, Hindus, Muslims, and so there there are holidays for all of the key festivals in each religion. So, you know, for Eid, it's a holiday. Then for mm-hmm. Christmas and other Christian festivals, and and for Hindu festivals. So that's something just to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is that some cities have more. Um, of you know Muslim workers, for example, or or a certain religion or a certain mm. community of workers, and their um, traditions may be a little different. For example, this metal city that I was talking about, Muradabad, most of the artisans and workers there are Muslims, mm-hmm. and so they prefer not to work on Fridays. And so some of the factories are actually closed on 
Friday, Saturday, instead, or only Friday instead of Sunday. They work on Sundays, right? They're, they're closed on Fridays. So those are little things that you need to be aware of. And then, um, yeah, again, you know, if, if the city, there are more Muslims in the city, then they will not take leave on Diwali, mm-hmm. which is a Hindu festival, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it'll be for Eid, you know? So just, just talk to your supplier and ask them when are the major festivals and when do they expect to have, uh, you know, their workers going on leave or not being in the factory. So that's just something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that might disrupt uh, production sometimes is the monsoon season. Mm-hmm. So during um, July, August, that's when there are heavy rains throughout the country and the rain, the monsoon season actually starts from the southern part of India and it moves up towards the north. And so during that time, sometimes it becomes so bad that there's like extreme flooding in some cities, especially in major cities like Mumbai, which is a major port where a lot of the shipments, you know, go out from, um, that city becomes very flooded. And sometimes it just comes to a standstill for a couple of days. So that's something that could affect your production as well. Um, You know, of course, transportation problems or maybe the roads are closed. So therefore your products can't go from the factory to the port. Or it's just that, um, um, you know, maybe the factory itself is flooded, right? That that also happens sometimes as water in the factory floor. So your products might get affected. So that's something to keep in mind. Another little thing to keep in mind is that there are, there are big regional differences in the country. So for example, the northern part and also the northwestern part actually is more of a desert area. It's very hot. It's, uh, the state is called Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this specific technique of printing that's called block printing over there in Rajasthan. That's very popular. It's a very popular type of printing. Um, however, this block printing works really well in hot summer months. But when, it's, when it rains, then block printing does not work very, really well. One, because it doesn't dry. And two, because um, the, the, the ink spreads a little bit in the, in the cloth, in the you know, fabric. And so it, it doesn't come out very sharp. So if you're doing block printing, you, know, you just have to be aware of that, that summer months are better for block printing rather than monsoon or, or winter months. That's actually really, really huge pieces of advice that you've shared with us. Uh, So basically, it comes down to really understanding that area geographically and also demographically uh, in which you are doing your production and also trying to avoid, if possible, the whole monsoon season because um, if you can pre-order and avoid these two months, doing these two months, then there would be uh, the approach um, that's the safest approach basically if possible yeah yeah it also depends on where your factory is with city they are in um, mm-hmm. but it's always good to know that this is an issue so that you can ask the factory you know if, if it's going to be an issue for them yeah and also a big piece of advice that, uh, the information that you gave us is that um, there is not like a coherent big uh, one big culture inside of India but more like diversified cultures everyone living together you just have to see uh, which yeah. part you need to pay attention to and uh, how to organize your business according to it so exactly in fact in India you know each state has its own language with a different script yeah. so mm-hmm. I I'm from I'm from North India if I go to south of India then I have 
I cannot read their language. I cannot understand what they're saying. And that is one reason why English is, you know, like the mm -hmm. common language spoken by everyone, because it's the language that helps us communicate, you know, <laughs> with, with people from different states. So that's something to consider. It's a very diverse country with very different cultures and, and customs that differ from state to state. Okay, so definitely something to keep in mind. Um, when it comes to all of these uh, differences and everything that needs to be taken into account when you're sourcing from India, then definitely it would be helpful to have some kind of agent or uh, a guide or a host or someone who can help you understand what are the things uh, to ask about. You don't have to be know everything up front, but you at least have to know uh, what, uh, what is the types of information that you will need if you want to do business long term. So um, I wanted to talk about a little bit more about the India sourcing trip and how it came to be and uh, who is it helpful for and uh, what is it included in your sourcing trip and uh, just generally what kind of value can it bring to sellers who are looking to source from India. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let me talk about how it started. Um, and one of the reasons it started was because of the trade war between China and the U.S. <laughs> and at that time, um, I think it was two years ago or so, um, I was doing, I mean, I'm still doing the conference in Hong Kong, but when I was talking to sellers, they were looking for alternative markets. And some sellers were reaching out to me and asking if I knew any suppliers in India and, you know, if I knew how it worked. And so that ho that's how the idea was born because I saw that there is a need among Amazon sellers to source uh, from alternative markets. And because I had experience in India, I thought that, hey, let me do a sourcing trip because there's no better way to source from a country than to go there. And I also realized that there's not a lot of information available about how to source from India. There is so much information about China, there are YouTube videos, blogs, experts, but really nothing about India. So that's why one of the first things that I did was I wrote an ebook about how to source from India to give people an idea, like an overview of what can be sourced, how to source, you know, how to find suppliers, because I realized that people really didn't have any idea. I mean, especially Amazon sellers, they didn't have any idea of where to begin. So that was the first thing that I did. And then um, the sourcing trip that I organize is, um, is basically, you can call it like a sourcing trip with e-commerce and Amazon coaching. Mm -hmm. um, it's, there are three aspects on the trip that we focus on learning, sourcing, and also cultural experience. So um, we gather a group of about um, more than 15 coaches. There are e-commerce coaches and there are sourcing coaches that accompany the group to teach them, um, first of all, everything that there is to learn about sourcing from India. So we do a full day conference when we are in India where we have experts talking about things like how to find suppliers, how to vet suppliers, uh, how to do negotiation, cultural sensitivities, all of those things that will take people a couple of years to learn if they do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is like, this is almost like a crash course in sourcing from India. And then we have a lot of e-commerce coaches from the US, from Australia, from all different countries. There's Tim Jordan, who's one of the coaches. He is from, um, uh, he's quite popular among uh, you know, Amazon sellers in the US. And then there's Gary Huang from 8020 Sourcing. He's one of the coaches. Uh, there's Chris Thomas and Margaret Jolly and Kevin Oldham from Australia. Uh, Margaret has been sourcing products from India for almost two years. 
and she stopped her China sourcing entirely and her brand is, you know, she sells on Amazon US. Um, all of her products are made in India. Um, and so what these coaches do is that they travel with the group and they help people identify Amazonable products at the trade mm -hmm. show. That's one of the biggest things that they help with. They guide people on how to validate products, how to vet products, and then how to find Amazonable products. So um, we go to this trade show called the Indian Handicrafts and Gifts Fair that I was mentioning earlier. That's one of the major export fairs in India. And um, we do a guided tour of the fair, first of all. We tell people how to talk to suppliers, how to look for products that they can source. And then the coaches are available to walk with um, any of the attendees, uh, you know, walk the show floor and, and talk mm -hmm. to suppliers together with the attendees. Um, and then um, we also have a lot of cultural experience. So India has a very rich, you know, culture and history. So we visit the Taj Mahal. We do a day trip to the Taj Mahal. That is one of the seven wonders of the world. Mm -hmm. And we also do an, uh, a cultural program, a dance program exclusively for our group. So it's called Bollywood Night, where we have this, you know, dance party and everybody can uh, participate. And, you know, there's like loud music and drums and everything. And like a local dance troupe will do some Indian dance. And then we have like hennas and, you know, you can wear turbans or wear Indian dresses. So just kind of experiencing the culture a little bit, which is, uh, you know, something that people find very exciting because it's, it's just something different that they do. So, yeah, those are the three aspects that we focus on, learning, sourcing, and uh, the cultural aspects. And uh, it's an eight-day trip. The next one is in April. Mm -hmm. It starts from the 13th of April to the 20th of April. So um, in case people are interested in learning more, they can go to indiasourcingtrip.com to get more information about the trip. Yes, I've been on the website and I also familiarize myself with uh, all of these aspects of the trip that you just uh, shared with us. And um, definitely see the need for that cultural aspect because it's so important uh, yeah. to be understood really well when you're doing business with uh, Indian suppliers. So um, definitely. But when you mentioned uh, identifying Amazonable products, does that mean that someone will help you understand that there are certain dimensions or inspection elements or documentation that you have to keep in mind when you are considering a product. Yes, there are those aspects and also how much demand there would be for that product and how competitive that product category is and how easy would it be for you to launch that product and differentiate yourself from all of the other sellers. I think that's something that people really struggle with identifying products um, that they can differentiate and, and sell well, because increasingly Amazon is becoming very competitive. Um, yeah. And so, so this is one of the main challenges we find, you know, sellers face, they can't find profitable products to source. And so that's something that these e-commerce coaches are, you know, more experienced with um, because they themselves have been, you know, helping other sellers for quite a few years and they themselves have been selling products. So they know immediately, you know, when they see a product, if it will sell or not. And um, also during the evenings, you know, when we go to the trade shows and during the evenings, we usually have like mastermind sessions mm -hmm. where uh, we also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so people can actually, you know, open up their computers and then they'll go, the coaches will go into Helium 10 and do some, you know, keyword research and product validation. And right then and there, 
you know, you, they, they can um, kind of tell attendees if this is a good product or not. So I think that is a big help getting access to all of these e-commerce coaches for eight days and, you know, being, a, being able to pick their brains and uh, ask yeah. them questions. I think that in itself is, it covers the cost of the, of the, you know, the, the, the investment that you do into the trip because usually like these, you know, experts and all they, they charge a few hundred dollars for their time. But when you're on a sourcing trip like this, you know, whether in India or China, they are trapped. <laughs> they can't yeah. go anywhere. They're with you for eight days. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I, I usually tell attendees that, you know, make the most of this time that you have with these coaches, ask them questions, pick their brains and just learn from them as much as possible. Yeah, that's definitely one of the advantages. And also um, all these connections that you make with other participants are usually lifelong yeah. friendships and collaborations, maybe uh, business collaborations for them. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we form a WhatsApp group and also a Facebook group of all the attendees. And uh, the WhatsApp group stays active even after the trip. So if you have any questions, you know, when, when you're back, you can always just post in the WhatsApp group and some of the coaches or other attendees will help you. So you kind of get it like a support group mm-hmm. um, as well, you know, after the trip. So it's not just during the trip. And in fact, we also do a lot of pre-trip webinars leading up to the trip. We do about seven or eight webinars before the trip some of them are to help you prepare and others are to cover things like you know if you're a newbie we'll also go over things like seller central and how to set up your account and and things like that and then we also cover things like product validation product research listing optimization and then even after the trip we'll we'll do a couple of webinars um, you know on basics of ppc or uh, how to do your photographs how to do your copy things like that. So yeah, it's, it's almost like a course, you know, you start mm-hmm. a month before the trip and then there's training during the trip and then we do follow-ups and help you place orders and start, uh, you know, putting your products up after the trip. And then after the trip, you also get a one hour coaching call, totally free for with any of the coaches. So if you have any questions, you can just, uh, you know, set up a call with any of them. That's the kind of opportunity that really, really didn't exist in the prior years before, especially if we're just focusing on the India suppliers, uh, in, in, in the Indian suppliers. So definitely a huge opportunity for people. I can see that there's this certain demographic that might fit really well for the India sourcing trip. Like, for example, if people... Uh, want to have a change in their career and they have some savings maybe they want to invest in a new business and uh, be free from nine to five perspective um, they might find this guided tours really useful and really um, they they won't even know how much value they will get because they don't know how painful it might be when you're doing it on your own yes exactly (laughs) like for example we when we first started out with our own brand we had no guidance in terms of like for example quality insurance so we had quality issues with the stock that was already in amazon fba warehouse so Mm. uh, it was a it was a mess so i wish i had someone to tell me all these things and just um, predict what might happen and let me know so that i can be much more prepared so definitely see a lot of value there Okay, so you mentioned that there's going to be an ebook that we'll share with the uh, viewers of this uh, interview, and um, I'm going to share the link below in uh, below our video, 
so that they can um, go there and download it and uh, read all the basics of uh, understanding what it uh, means to source from India. And if there's any additional information, uh, they can contact you directly. Would that be? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the ebook is at indiasourcingtrip.com forward slash ebook. And uh, I also have a Facebook group that um, where I'm quite active answering questions and doing live webinars every week. So um, just search for sourcing from India for Amazon FBA and uh, feel free to join the group. You can reach out to me on messenger on Facebook and um, yeah, I'll be happy to help if anybody has any questions about sourcing from India. Okay, great. Um, Migla, thank you so much for being my guest and for sharing all this information. I personally learned so much from you in this session. And I also know that a lot of our audience, a big part of our audience will consider sourcing from India and um, uh, benefit a lot of value from your ebook. So um, thank, thank you so for much for having me. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. -bye. Bye.